Well, hello. I want to welcome everyone. Join us all around the world on the internet. I want to welcome those of you at our Bartlett campus as well as Blackberry. Also want to welcome those who join us at DeKalb. So glad that you guys are here with us today as we're continuing this series called Trending Now. Uh, my name is Scott Williams. I bring you greetings from the great state of Oklahoma, the city of Oklahoma City, home of the 2015 NBA champions. That wasn't a joke. That wasn't a joke. I, uh, I guess you guys think your bulls might have something to say about that. I, I'm telling you, we were really wanting to get Pal Gasol, but we will see what you guys do. We're really looking forward to this season. Again, just a little bit about me. My name is Scott Williams from Oklahoma City. I was on staff at a multi-site ministry a lot like Christ Community Church. It's lifechurch.tv. It's actually the largest church in America. They have 19 locations all around the country. And I served there for about six years. About three years ago, we left and started this consulting company called Next Level Solutions. And we work with churches and corporations literally all around the world. We have clients everywhere from New Zealand to Nigeria, all over the West Coast, all throughout the United States. So it's a a great time, and currently I'm at peopleschurch.tv where I sit on the elder board and the leadership team. We're actually launching a new campus today, but it is uh, great to be uh, in the house of the Lord. I'm honored to be able to come and share God's word with you guys. And before we dive in, let me just go ahead and just get real open and honest and tell you a little bit about me. I haven't always been in ministry. I have not always had a business. I have not always had the opportunity to travel around the world. As a matter of fact, I spent a large number of my adult years in the prison system, 12 years 10 hours to be exact. Eight by 10 cell, razor wire, pinned up anger, prison. I was a warden in the prison system. You guys can breathe. <laughs> Why brother always gotta be in the prison system? You know what I'm saying? Like, you see the looks on some of your faces. I mean, you got people at our campuses that are leaving right now, people that are logging off online. And here's the deal. There was two types of people that were in here at that moment. There were those who like, praise the Lord, God, glad that God delivered him. And there was another group of us like, what's Pastor Jim doing with a convict in a pulpit? You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to say which group that you were in. So, uh, again, it is great to be here. As I said before, I travel a lot. So, like, I'm always, like, in an airplane. I'm always going somewhere. I'm like, this year I'll probably travel 100,000 miles on Delta alone. So I'm always in airplanes. And so with that comes lots of interesting stories because in airports and in airplanes, you meet lots of interesting people. You know what I'm saying? Matter of fact, some of you guys may be those interesting people that I've met. And I go lots of interesting places. And so I remember one time I was on my way to Detroit, and I sit next to a guy and the conversation always gets interesting especially when they ask what you do for a living but I'm talking to this guy he looked like a lot like Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty and so we're having this conversation and about five minutes into the conversation he leans over to me and said guess what one of my best friends is black <laughs> just for the record that's not like a term of endearment you know what I'm saying he might as well say it one of my best friends is black I own a pair of black boots we even got a colored TV. No, no. And so I'm talking to this guy, and he was awesome, Uncle Cy. And then a few weeks ago, I was on a flight that was supposed to be going to L.A. It was supposed to be going to L.A. Come to find out, it was flight 666 going straight to hell. I mean, I, I get on the flight, and, and here's the I love babies. I love little babies. We have two kids. They're not babies anymore. They're 11 and 15 years old, but I love babies. There was this little baby that was sitting in front of me, and she was trying to break the Guinness Book of World Record of how long you can cry in one sitting. And so, like this baby, she's just crying and crying and crying. And then there was this kid that was sitting behind me. And I swear, he had to be a black belt in karate. 
because he kept kicking the back of my seat. So he's kicking the back of my seat. And every time he kicked the back of my seat, I would go closer to the crying baby. So he's kicking the back of my seat. And then I had this sweet little Asian lady that was sitting next to me. And about 20 minutes into our flight, she decided to pull out her lunch for the day, which consisted of a dozen hard-boiled eggs, a bag of pickles, and an onion that she ate like an apple. So I'm on this flight, and this, this baby is crying, and this kid is kicking the back of my seat, and the lady is eating her vegetable garden next to me. And so finally, I just turn around to the kid, and I was like, are you a black belt? He looks at me. I said, if you don't quit kicking the back of my seat, you're going to meet a black belt. <laughs> I will spank somebody else's kid in the name of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> y'all, y'all read the Bible verse, spare the rod and all that. So uh, it is great to be here in St. Charles sharing God's word. I just want to tell you guys, man, you're truly blessed uh, with the leadership that you have. It's, it's really amazing what God has done uh, through Pastor Jim. And we know this, that beside every great man is a great woman. Notice I didn't say behind, ladies. Can I get an Amen. Amen. So beside every great man is a great woman, and it's just awesome that he takes the opportunity to be able to take a study break, to be able to be refreshed so he can come back and just tackle all that God has in store for you guys this year. So would you just give uh, your pastor a hand clap? I know he's not here just to honor your pastor. Lots of great stuff. As a matter of fact, before Pastor Jim went on his break, I was having a conversation with him, and, and we're talking, and he was talking about you know, being patriotic, and he asked if I'm patriotic. I'm like, well, of course I'm patriotic. He said, well, well, Pastor Scott, do you believe in free speech? I said, of course. He said, will you come to St. Charles and give one? <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. That was a joke. You have a really uh, generous church, but no, that's what we're actually going to talk about today is we're going to talk about this trend. What's trending now is the, is the fall of generosity and the fall in generosity. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what I'm calling these generosity giants. Uh, but before we dive in and before I preach for the next two and a half hours, um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Let's pray. God, I pray right now that you'd open the hearts of your sons and daughters. God, I pray as we look at a very familiar story, would you give everyone that's under the sound of my voice here at all of our campuses and those that are online, would you give them a fresh revelation of how this message would speak to their life? God, would you just release the, the giant killers that are in this room? God, just give them something new, something fresh. Uh, empower them to act. Um, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said? Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at these things that I'm calling generosity giants. Because at the root of this lack of generosity and this fall in generosity, there's these giants or these big things that are in front of us. And if we don't address and tackle those things, we can never get to a place to where we can truly be generous. And so I'm just going to bust through. If you think about this fall in generosity, it's going to fall in one of these categories. Some other ones might pop up for you guys. Here's the deal. The reason why we have these generosity giants, the reason why we can't be as generous as we need to be, the reason why there's a fall and decline in generosity is first because of this, because of the presence of fear. Because here's the deal. We're scared. There's not enough. I don't know. I just, I mean, I lost my job. I can't do this. So this fear begins to set in. Selfishness. I mean, it's all about me, 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 my, 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 my. That's the, the world that we live in. So, of course, we can't give or we can't be generous or we can't give up our time, our talents, and our resources because it's about me. It's about me. Materialism. Materialism, we all know that. It's about stuff. I want more stuff. I want more toys. It's also the lack of faith. 
because we can't trust God. And if we can't truly trust God, then there's no way that we can be generous. It's about greed because we want more and more and more and more. We want more and more and more and more. For some of us, it's history. It's what we've always done. It's how our parents did it. Like, we can't do this. We just give this amount or we do this or we give to these charities or we just drop this much in the offering bucket. Heaven forbid we tighten up. It's whatever. It's, it's the history. It's the way it's always been done. It's the way my husband says that we do it. Not looking at the way that God's word says that we do it. Time. Oh, there's not enough time to go around. I could never give an hour to to serve at my church a week. There's not enough time to go around. I can watch TV. I can watch Sports Center over and over and over and over again. It plays the same thing over and over. But no, I can't give up an hour of my time. I can do this. I can watch this reality TV show. I can do this. I can spend my time everywhere else. But heaven forbid I spend it serving God or serving the local church. And also this unwillingness to act. This unwillingness to get off the sidelines, get in the game, and to do something about it. And so what I want to do, I want to just kind of buzz through some statistics. And, and not because I want you to remember the statistics. Because it would be real easy for me to come here, give you all the statistics. This is what the Bible says about giving. But I really think we have to look deeper than that. We have to look at what are these things that we need to uncover, that we need to address so we can truly be free to be generous because it's all the other stuff that affects us being able to be generous. Generosity and, and, and money, that's the last thing that comes in our faith walk. And so we have to learn these other things first. But I just want to give you just some perspective just so you kind of understand where we are, a framework to work with. The first thing you need to know is this, is that if you make $33,000, you're in the top percent, top 1%, top 1% of wage earners in the entire world, $33,000 a year. Some of you are like, man, where do these other people live? That's in the world, just kind of just some context. $88,000 a year. You're in the top 0.1% of all wage earners in the world. Again, a quarter of the people say that 10% of their money goes to charity, but actually only 3% gave more than 5%. There's another researcher's report called the Empty Tune Report. It cites that evangelicals give churches about 4% of their income, while Christians in general only give 2.4%. So, I mean, Christians in general give 2.4% to their church, not not starting at the ma'as or the tithe, where God tells us to start, and not going above and beyond that where we should be in this this stage of generosity, but 2.4%. And evangelicals, 4%. Uh, again, we're thinking about the minimal should be 10%, but most of us could actually give 15, 20, even 30%. It says 7.9% of those people who feel God's love one or more times per day actually gave $5,000 more than those who didn't. This DC group did a study, American, it says that this, it says the American poor, they donate more in percentage terms in, than the higher income groups. And also with the poor, as far as their generosity and their giving, it doesn't decline with the economy. You see, the, if, if you're wealthier, as the, de- the economy declines and the stock market happens and this happens, oh, next thing you know, our generosity, we got to have more. But that doesn't happen with the poor. It says the lowest income, the one-fifth of the population, they always give more of their capacity. Older people, same income category, give more than younger people. Again, there's life, there's things that they see. 
In psychology research, as we talk about even like tipping at restaurants and, and whether it's uh, we go to the salon or whatever the service industry that you go to, tipping, and it says this, that as the services get more expensive, as you get to about $100, things begin to plateau. So if you were given X amount of tip at $75, you're going to give about that same tip at $100. So it doesn't increase percentage-wise as things begin to increase. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how we can tackle and how we can face these things that we're calling generosity giants. And there's no better story in the Bible as we're talking about facing giants and getting rid of these, these big problems that are in front of us that can free us up than the story of David and Goliath. Uh, by a show of hands, how many of you guys heard of the story of David and Goliath? By a show of hands at all of our campuses, everybody? Okay, many of you have. And if you haven't, we're going to share it with you here in a second. You can go ahead and open your Bibles up to 1 Samuel 17. Uh, 1 Samuel 17, that's where we'll begin our time together today. And so I'm just going to provide a historical context for the time that we're looking at in Scripture. And we're going to look at David's life. And David's life is going to help us to be free and to take out these generosity giants that are in our life. And so it's around 1010 B.C. and some of the players in the story, you have Goliath. Goliath was this, man, he was this big old giant. And before we even talk about Goliath, let's just look at the two nations that we have. You got the nation of Israel, the good guys, they're lined up on one side. And then you had the Philistines, the bad guys, they're lined up on the other side. And they're in this valley of Elah. Just to give you like some maybe what it's looking like, think about like Bear Stadium in like a big U. And then you had these steep ridges on the sides. And so the armies were lined up on those very steep ridges on the sides. And so you track them and they're lined up on these steep ridges. And the reason why it's important to know they were steep is because whichever army went first would be an extreme disadvantage. And so they're both sitting there like two kids on a playground getting ready to fight, but no one wants to throw the first punch. And they're like, you throw the first punch. Now you throw the first punch. So they're just sitting there. And they're just sitting there. So they're lined up. They're getting ready to go to battle. And the reason why this valley was so important, it was important for their national defense. So whoever controlled that valley would also be in control, like their national defense and their security. But it was also for their economy because the sycamore trees and the grain that this area produced, they wanted to make sure that they were in control of that. And then you had the big guy, the giant, Goliath, stood nine feet, six inches tall. Nine feet, six inches tall. Just to give you some context, Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot one. Goliath, nine foot six inches tall. And a matter of fact, the largest giant to ever live in our time is actually from Illinois, from Alton, Illinois. His name was Robert Wadlow. He was known as the Alton Giant. And before he died, he was eight feet 11 inches. And so here's the deal. There was a really big man, a big giant in our time, but Goliath, nine foot six inches tall. And he was a terror. He liked to come out every single day and he would disrespect the armies of the living God. He would disrespect the nation of Israel. And he liked to come out early in the morning and late in the evening because that's when the Israelites would be praying. So he'd come out and he would disrespect them and, and, and disrespect their God and talk noise. That's what he did. He was a terror. And then you had Jesse. And Jesse was just a, he was a sharecropper. He had eight sons. And his three eldest sons were actually out there on the battle lines with the nation of Israel and with King Saul. So he's there. He's got his sons, and, and they're out there on the battle lines. And he had his youngest son. His youngest son's name was David. And David was just the, the simple guy who was around 15 years old. And, and his responsibility was to stay back and to take care of the sheep. I mean, he'd take care of the sheep, and his responsibility was actually to scoop up the sheep dung. Translation, he would scoop the poop. So he was back. He was scooping the poop. And then the oldest brother, his name was Eliab. And Eliab was the chosen son. 
He was the good-looking son. He was the one that fashioned himself after the warriors and the, of that time because he was setting himself up to be the next king of Israel. But I think it's also important to know that he's also the one that God uses to, to tell us something important because God rejected Eliab. And he says, here's the deal. Man, they look at the outward appearance, but God... God looks at the heart. Man, they look at materialism. They look at the stuff that you have. They look at how you look, what you wear, all these things. But God, he looks at your heart. And so by this time, Jesse tells David, David, I want you to go to the battle lines, check on your brothers, see how they're doing. And I want you to take them this, this roasted grain, this roasted corn, and this bread. Take them these loaves of bread and go check on them. So that's David tracking him. He's got the, like the jiffy corn bread in hand, and he's going to the battle lines and he comes up to his brothers like, hey, you know, dad wants me to come check on you, see how you guys are doing. And about that time that David shows up, he's talking to his brother, the big, ugly, giant Goliath steps out and does his normal disrespect. And I think the key part of the, of the Bible, of the text, of the scriptures, is it says, and David heard it. Here's the deal, you had an entire army there, but notice they said, and David heard it. Because David was listening, he was paying attention. The other people, they were fearful. And you talk about one of these giants that we're facing, one of these generosity giants, is the giant of fear. And so it says, and David heard it. And so David's thinking, hmm, what did this dude just say? And so he comes up, it says, and David heard it. So we're going to look at David's life and how we can kill these giants. We're going to talk about how we can be giant killers. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I am a giant killer. No, that was the wrong neighbor. That was the wrong neighbor. That was the wrong neighbor. Turn to your other neighbor, the right neighbor, and say, I am a giant killer. <laughs> See, they were smiling a little bit. That was the right neighbor. That was the right neighbor. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the three ways to kill a giant. And if you don't remember anything that I say today, remember this. If you want to be a giant killer, if you want to get rid of these generosity giants that are holding you down, you must be willing to act. A-C-T. And if you're writing this first one down and stare inside your talk notes, you can write the first one down as this. Giant killers, you must acknowledge there is a giant. You must acknowledge there is a giant. Let's look at verse 25. The Bible says this. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. It says the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Fellas, how many of you guys know if somebody says, here's the deal, no more IRS, baby. You're going to get riches and you're going to get my hot daughter in marriage. I mean, at some point, if you're on the battle line, you at least will say, tell me more. But they're sitting there. Nobody wants to say anything. And so David, a little shepherd boy, he's showing up. He's like, what, what did he just say? I want to make sure that I'm clear. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? I want everybody to say, who is? Come on, you can do better than that. All of our camps are right here. Everybody say, who is? Let me hear you. Who is? who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In other words, who does this big ugly dude think that he is? Who is? He acknowledged it. But what's important to know is that David is acknowledging a giant that isn't even his. 
And sometimes that, that's what we have to understand. If we're going to face these generosity giants, we're going to face them on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of a, of a friend sometimes, on behalf of somebody that might be in our community group, on behalf of our child, on behalf of our, of our husband or our wife, somebody that might be going through a rough financial situation. We have to acknowledge those giants on behalf of other people. And that's what David's life shows. So he acknowledged a giant that wasn't even his. Because here's the reality. Every single one of us has a giant in our life. Some of them come in something as thin as paper money. Some of them is square and they got a little strip on them and it's called a credit card. Some of them is as big as our thoughts and the things that we want. Some of them is the clothes that we put on and we want more. Some of those giants are shoes and we got hundreds of them and more and more shoes. And, and some of them, it, it's, it's our toys and the, the boats that we have and the motorcycles that we have, whatever it is. We all have giants. Some of them, it's fear. I don't have enough. What am I going to do? And I remember for me, when I was um, first making the decision to go into full-time ministry, I was a guy that was somewhat of a serial entrepreneur. Again, lots of success, young as prison warden, just crazy cool things were happening. And, and I, I fell in love with Jesus, and I began to walk more with Jesus. And I'm like, man, how can I, I want to do something in the church, help me to get more involved. And next thing you know, we started talking about coming on staff and and I remember at the time, from a worldly standpoint, we had our best years ever. We were doing great, consulting company, great lobbies. Things were awesome. But when we started talking about coming on staff at a church, they were, we were building a home, and they were talking about the salary that we were going to make. And I'm like, I don't think the bank will be okay with that salary. And, you know, I can't finish building my home, and I'm thinking there's no way that we can do this because, to be honest with you, the last thing that comes in our faith, and our walk with Jesus, is giving. I'm like, oh, man, there's no way we can do it, baby. There's no way we can do this. And still, and the Lord keeps saying, okay, go, go, go. And so we said, okay. Jumped all in. And it was just like thing after thing. My wife got a raise. Our business that we had as we began to sell things off, things started to really work. And then God just provided over and over and over on a salary. That was a third or a quarter of what we were making before. But it was because we made the decision to say, okay, God, I acknowledged that I had this giant of fear and there's, I don't have enough and God's not going to do it. If I didn't acknowledge that I had that giant in my life, I wouldn't have found myself in a position that the second thing that giant killers do, and that's this. And the second thing that giant killers do is they choose to trust God. I would have never found myself in a position where I could choose to trust God. I mean, if you look at this young giant killer David in his time, and, and he's sitting there on the, on the battle lines, and he's talking to, uh, you know, his brother Eliab. Is like, he's like, hey, man, I'll, I'll fight Goliath. And they're like, David, really? Dude, you're like a shepherd boy. Like, what do you, what do you mean you're going to fight Goliath? He's like, I'll fight him. And Eliab was like, David, you're so conceited. You just want to come out here and whatever. I don't know what he said. The Bible doesn't say exactly what he said. But anyway, so he's sitting there, and then he, and like, and he's having this conversation. And, and But then the next thing you know, like, King Saul was like, David, you know, come on. Like, there's no way you can fight this guy. And David's like, man, I'm telling you, I'm going to fight this guy. And here's what, here's what Saul said to David. I mean, Listen, little man, we appreciate you want to be a big man. But, verse 33, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. In other words, he's been fighting people and being a terror for a very long time. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear 
came and carried off a sheep from the flock. I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. It says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. I want everybody to say the Lord. Lord. Come on, all of our campus, you can do that. Everybody say it better than that, louder than that. Let me hear everybody say the Lord. The Lord Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, I didn't put the last line of verse 37 in there because the Bible says this. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so I want you guys just to to hear this. I want you to hear this last line as though these words are being spoken directly to you, as though these words are being spoken directly to you about trusting God. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Go and the Lord be with you. Be with you. I know the bill collectors are calling. Go and the Lord be with you. I, I know you have this appearance as though things are okay. How are you doing, Mr. and Mrs. So and so? Things are great. And you go home and things are a wreck. And you're putting all your trust in this stuff. And God's saying, Go and the Lord be with you. In other words, you have what it takes to go face these giants. Your situation can be different. You can take out the lion and the bear, those things that are holding you down. Go and the Lord be with you. You see, your victory is always on the other side of your faith. And so here's your success is always on the other side of your faith, but you have to make the decision. You have to choose to trust God. You know, I told you guys that that my family, like we travel a lot and my my family, what they like to do is they like to cherry pick the good trips. And so they'll go all the places like Hawaii, West Palm, like all the great places I go. And earlier this year, we decided to go Star Trek. We decided to go a place that a black man has never gone before. We decided to go skiing with snow. And so we go skiing. It's so like my wife, she was prepared for getting us ready for skiing. And so she was going to make sure that we were dressed really warm. So we had like eight pair of pants on. We had like three or four pair of socks on. We had hand warmers in our feet. You know what I'm saying? Like with our socks and our shoes. And we had like a north, south, east, and west face jacket on. You know what I'm saying? Like we had that and we had like three stocking caps on and we had like goggles and we had these things covering our mouth. And so we go up to the counter and, and we're getting ready to pay for like the lessons and that day is of skiing and, and the lady looks at me she said, where are y'all going? To the North Pole? Yes. Isn't this where we're at? We were in the Pocono Mountains, Pocono, Pennsylvania. And so we go and we're getting ready to go skiing and we go out there. First thing you do is lessons. And so during the lessons, if I'm just being real honest, I was like the worst one during lessons. I think the only thing I remember now is like, I think that's how you stop. And so anyway, so we did the whole skiing lesson thing. And then after that, it was time once you finish the lessons, you're going to the slope. And so I remember we was getting ready to go to the slope, and, and my, my boys at the time, they were 10 and 14 years old. My 10-year-old's name is Jaden, and my, my 14-year-old, his name is Wesley, and my wife, LaKendra. So my youngest son, Jaden and LaKendra, they went kind of ahead of Wesley and I, and we're kind of going towards the slope. And I'm sitting there, and then finally Wesley just comes, and he just stops. He's like, Dad, I can't do it. I'm like, what are you talking about, son? You were the best one during lessons. He's like, Dad, I can't do it. I'm not going. I can't do it. I'm like, son, come on. You can do this. He's like, Dad, I can't do it. And so finally I just pulled down my mask and lifted up my goggles, and I just looked at him and I said, Wesley, son, you can do this. Trust me. And he kind of looks at me and 
Next thing you know, he starts kind of skiing towards the, the lift. And if I'm being real honest, I was a little apprehensive about going myself. And as I began to see his faith, it began to increase my faith. And how many of you guys know that's what happens sometime in your life? It's seeing the faith of somebody else that begins to increase our faith. You know, we want to be a stay-at-home mom. And we've seen our friends step out and she's doing it and they're doing fine financially. And you see the faith of somebody else. And man, next thing you know, you want to do it. You want to be that entrepreneur. And you see somebody else step out and you say, we can do it. You want to get out of the car sales or that, that job that has you traveling where you never get anytime with your family or you're from there from 8 in the morning till 10 at night and you don't want to step out because of the money and the stuff of it you know we'll see somebody else that does it and their faith will begin to increase our faith so that's what was happening with me so I guess they know I'm on the lift too and we're going up and Wesley went down and in front of me and I was the worst one I told Jerry so I was falling down you know one thing I learned about skiing is like you know the hardest thing about it is getting back up like you know what I'm saying and that's kind of how it is in life we fall down, and the hardest thing is getting back up. And as long as we make that decision, that commitment to get back up, you lost your job. But you know what? You're going to get back up and watch what God has in store for you. You know what? You're in debt, but you're going to get back up. And so I get down to the bottom of the slope, and I'm looking for Wesley, and I don't see Wesley. And I'm looking for LaKendra and Jaden, and I don't see them. And so about five minutes later, LaKendra and Jaden come up, and I'm like, where's Wesley? Like, I don't know. He thought he was with you. And I'm like, well, maybe he's probably in the locker room taking off his skis. I'm sure he's done. And so we're sitting there, and we're kind of watching people come down the slopes. And, and as we're watching, we saw someone coming down that looked like they were from the North Pole. But the only thing is, like, they were, like, doing, like, an X game, kind of, like, bobbing and weaving kind of deal. And then they kind of do the whole, that's stopping. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it was Wesley. And I'm looking like, I'm like, son, like, what, what happened? He's like, well, Daddy, you, you told me to trust you, and I did. He said, I prayed on my way up, and he said, I've been down about four times since then. I'm ready to go snowboarding. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's what happens. Once we face our giant, we're prepared and ready for that next giant. And that's what happened with him. I want you to imagine this. Your heavenly father, right now, he's lifting up his heavenly goggles, and he's saying to his sons and daughters, Trust me. Quit putting your trust in all this stuff. I know that, that you think there's no way that you can give 10% of your income, really. And he's saying, trust me. Whatever your situation is, I, you know what? I, there, I will never get a job. I'm always going to be unemployed. He's saying, trust me. Because here's the thing. These giants go way beyond our financial giants. Because it's the other giants that get in the way of us even being able to find this heart of generosity. Some of your giants... Is, is, it comes as small as, as, a, as a pill or a prescription drug bottle or drugs or insecurities or relationships that are not meaningful or whatever that giant is, that pornography, whatever it is, whatever those giants that you face, they come in all shapes, forms, and fashions. But the thing is you must be willing to confront those giants. You know, as we were praying yesterday and praying for the weekend and, and the people that, that would come through, um, through, the, through the services and people that would come here, I'm like thinking about, you know what, like so many people are facing this, this giant of trying to get pregnant. And there's some of you couples that have been trying to get pregnant, some of you week after week, some of you month after month, some of you year after year, but yet no baby. And the doctors are saying, no way, there's no way you would have a baby, but you have to put your trust in God. You have to put your trust in God. There's this couple in Oklahoma City that I've been praying for, and that's their situation. They've been trying to conceive. They've been trying to get pregnant. And it was just a, 
a while back that the husband sent me a, a text message. And here's what he said. He said, hey, Scott, I hope you're doing well. I wanted to share something with you since I know you've been praying. He says, we haven't told anyone this yet, but this time last year, doctors said we would never conceive. Well, we just found out that we're five weeks pregnant. God is so faithful. He decrees and the world has to agree. The thing that was different about this couple is that they didn't care what the doctor said. They chose to trust God. And that's your question is, are you choosing to trust God? Are you putting your trust in stuff? If you choose to trust God, you'll see some amazing things will happen. Because here's the deal. God is not moved by the size of your giants. God is moved by the size of your faith. And the question is, are you going to choose to trust God? I mean, I told you the finance is the last thing that will come in your life. There's no way, like, you can't do it. There's a story of this uh, U.S. Senate chaplain. His name was Peter Marshall. And, and he, he, Peter Marshall had a, a gentleman that came to him and was telling him, you know, Peter, he said, chaplain, I have a problem. He said, well, what's your problem? He said, my problem is this. He said, I've tied for a very long time. He said, to be honest with you, chaplain, he said, here's the deal. It was really, it was much easier for me to tithe when I made $20,000 a year. I could afford to give up that $2,000 a year. He said, but now that we've had all this success and now that I'm making over $500,000 a year, he says, it's real hard for me to tithe $50,000. And so Peter Marshall looked at me and says, well, sir, I understand that the dilemma you have. So understanding this wealthy man's dilemma, he just asked him, he said, would you mind that I pray for you? And the gentleman said, sure, go ahead. Go ahead and pray for me. And so he just bowed his head and he said, dear Lord, this man has a problem, and I pray that you will help him. Please reduce his salary back to the place where he can afford to tithe. <laughs> That's not my prayer for you today. <laughs> but we have to choose to trust God. And the last thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Here's what giant killers do. Giant killers take a stand. Giant killers take a stand. I mean, think about it. You know, we're talking about being generous, and we're talking about taking a stand, and, and we're talking about how can we be free, and how can we truly experience the blessing that God has on our life. And for many of you, taking a stand, you know what that's going to be? It's going to be taking a stand and saying, you know what, I want something different. Some of you are college students, and you're saying, you know what, I want a fresh start. I want to start with the right foot. Some of you may be in debt up to your eyeballs. You're thinking, what do I do? I'm going to tell you, for many of you, it's going to be step through the doors of Financial Peace University. My wife and I, we did it about eight or nine years ago. I'm going to tell you, it revolutionized the way that we think, how we save, the way that we tackle things. And you know what? It's really opened up the doors for us to be generous. I mean, just like, I, there's, you know, Jesus tells us that it's much more of a blessing to give than it is to receive. And then when you, when you, but here's the deal, but if we're in a rough financial situation, we're saying, how can we do this? And one thing I'm telling you, by show of hands, how many of you guys have taken Financial Peace University? By show of hands, okay, many of you have, many of you at all of our locations. For those of you that haven't, I don't care if you think your financial situation is great, I don't think if you think that it's busted and disgusted, whatever it is, I challenge you to go to Financial Peace University. When we went through it, it was a much longer class, it's shorter, it's more condensed, Dave Ramsey is funny, I promise you, I don't care what your situation is, once you come out of there, it will be much better. 100%, I guarantee you. Your situation will be different. It won't just set you up for a great situation, but it will set generations up. I mean, think about it. 
I mean, David thought, you know what, if I go take out this giant, maybe I'll have a pretty woman in marriage. Maybe I'll get some riches, you know, maybe no more taxes or IRS. But here's the deal. God exceeded those expectations and made him the king of all of Israel. And think about it. So David, he's there. He's like, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to take this giant out. And, of course, everybody's looking like, David, what do you think? You can't take this giant out. King Saul was like, David, man, I, I mean, if, if you think you're going to fight this giant, at least let me give you my armor. Let me give you my armor so that you can go take him out if you're going to take him out. So David puts on his armor. And he's thinking, no, this, this isn't me. This, I'm just going to use just what I have and just what I know how to use. And what did David know how to use? He knew how to use something that looked like this. It was a sling. And he said, you know what, I've gotten pretty good at using this sling. I've taken out a lion and a bear. I've taken out a few things in my lifetime with this sling. He says, I know how to use this, not this armor. And what God is showing you is that he's giving you just what you need. He's giving you Financial Peace University to take coming up. He's giving you the Bible to read. He's giving you past experiences. He's giving you those failures and those things that you can learn from. Some of you, he's giving you age and wisdom that you can be that person for the next generation. So you can help somebody that's in your community group. So he's giving you the tools right at your disposal. And so, you know, then he says that, that David, he says he goes over to the stream and he pulls out, the Bible says he pulls out five smooth stones out of the stream. And if you do a little bit more research in the Bible and you wonder why it is that David pulled out five smooth stones, if you do further research, you'll know that David had four other relatives that were also giants. And here's the deal. In, in ancient times, they had something that was called blood revenge. In other words, if you take out one of my family members, I'm going to come and retaliate and take you out. And so David was saying, here's the deal. Not only am I going to take out this big, ugly giant named Goliath, but I'm ready for his four ugly relatives. And so bring them on too. And that's what David said. So he's like, get ready. And Goliath is looking like, really? What am I, a dog or something? You bring a kid with rocks and stones and stuff to take me out? And Goliath is thinking, you better get ready. And David's thinking, you better get ready. Now, David is in this position called ready. He said, I'm going to take out this big, ugly giant. As a matter of fact, Goliath began to approach him. And here's what, here's what David said. Here's what David said. So David, David says this. The Philistine began to approach in verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to reach him. It says, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. It says, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. It says, the stone sank in his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. This is key. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword. In his hand, he struck down a Philistine and killed him. It says he didn't stop there. Then David ran, and he stood over him. And it says that, that he took a hold of the Philistine's sword. He drew it from the sheath. And it says after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And I think that's important. So here's the He goes over there. He's like, here's the, I know that you're dead. I know giant of fear. I know giant of materialism. I know that you're dead, but I'm going to make sure. So he took out the sword, and he cut his head off. And then he stood over Goliath. And then he did this. <laughs> took out his phone. He took a selfie. Hashtag giant killer. If you don't hear anything that I say today, I don't care what your situation is, 
how much time you don't have, how much money you don't have, how much money you do have, whatever giants that you're facing is this. All I know is this. If you acknowledge there is a giant, if you choose to trust God, and if you take a stand, God will put a comma in your drama. And that's what you need to understand because that's the God that we serve. All of us have giants. Most of us have financial giants. And so today here in all of our camps, you say, you know what, today's the day I'm going to take a stand and make the decision to take out those financial giants. I'm going to walk out here today. Things are going to be different. I'm going to take out whatever giants in my life. Some of you say, you know, I'm just going to take out giants on behalf of other people. I want you to raise your hand real high right now. All of our campers, raise your hand and say, now I'm going to walk out these doors and I'm ready to take out my giants. I'm ready to help take out giants. Okay, hands up all over it. All of our camps, hands up. What I want to do is if you just bow your head and close your eyes, I want to pray for every single one of you that are raising your hand. God, I pray right now for your sons and daughters that are raising their hand. God, release the giant killers that are in them, God. I pray right now, God, that the chains of, of debt are taken off of them right now. God, I pray right now that college students are getting a fresh start as they go through FPU, beginning anew, God. I pray right now that high schools are different because kids are facing their giants. God, I pray that generations are changed because people making the decision to face those giants. I pray that more people are signing up to serve here at this church, God. I pray that more people are making the decision to give. I pray that people are not just giving a tithe, but they're giving way above and beyond their tithe, God. Release the giant killers in this room. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for our God today, guys. Awesome. <laughs>